first, so here we go. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Glenn mentioned that Gary and the family decided to come to a crazy place. Crazy is right. Um, but good news, at the beginning of the new year, I see a bright future for Wallensee Bible Chapel. Things are looking very bright indeed. That might have something to do with the gear that I have on, and I'll uh, get back to that in just a moment. Uh, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, Glenn mentioned already, uh, following Jesus on the discipleship path. Following Jesus on the discipleship path, and for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the discipleship path. Gary has shown the picture of the discipleship path over the last few months in various messages. Back in September, we gave a brief introduction, but if you're anything like me, hearing it once or even just kind of seeing it, um, it kind of goes in here and goes out there again. So for the next three weeks, we want to spend more time and look at it in detail, what the discipleship path actually is, and more importantly, why it's relevant to us and how we can actually use it very practically. So I'm going to start off with an overview of the next three weeks, um, and it'll just be high level, and then we'll dive into the message for today, which is separation from God. And over the three weeks, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2. We're going to be studying the passage of Ephesians 2. We'll start with verses 1 to 3 today, and then the following verses the next two weeks. So here's a picture of the discipleship path. And as we've mentioned before, the discipleship path is really a tool that we are hoping will help us uh, clarify and focus in on what is really going on around us and what we should be doing as individuals and a church. And so the discipleship path is a picture of what it looks like for an individual, any individual, any one of you, any one of us, or even all of us, to be separated from God, distanced from God, and then to move along the discipleship path following Jesus to become a fully mature disciple of Jesus. And so on the left-hand side, you have someone who is separated. It might be somebody who grew up uh, outside of the Christian uh, circles, maybe has never heard of God, never heard of Jesus, or it's somebody that grew up in a Christian environment but really doesn't care very much. And so they are just separate, independent, by themselves, looking the other way. In a lot of cases, people will be confronted in some way or another with God, with Jesus. And some people, doesn't phase them much, some people will actually become curious and start seeing something in those Christians or hearing something that sounds different than it did last time. And they might become curious and start searching and start looking for answers. And then hopefully, if they hear the answers they're looking for, if they uh, are able to experience what it is that they saw, they accept the gift of salvation and they accept Jesus in their life. And that's not the end of the journey. That's not the end of Christianity. Okay, I am now a Christian, I've accepted Jesus and I'm done. I can sit back, relax and I rest. It's actually the starting point of the discipleship journey. It's the starting point of a life with Jesus. And then as that person learns and grows and is uh, taught and God works in their life, they are strengthened in their faith. They learn more, they become more and more like Jesus, and slowly they're transformed into the image of Christ as he sanctifies that person, that individual, that group of people. And so the discipleship path is just a reminder, a snapshot, a picture of what uh, following Jesus means. And actually, bigger than that, it is a picture of 
life. You might be asking why the discipleship path? That's a great little picture, a great little tool. Why do we need that? And there's a few points that I'd like to uh, mention briefly and then we'll uh, zero in on one of them. The first one I mentioned already, it's a snapshot of the big picture. In the Bible, it talks about a story. And several years ago, we did a sermon series. We have the banners on the back wall there. History was the series, his story. And it's really all about God's story, how in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created it good, he created it well. But then there was a problem. There was sin and there was a fall and there was a separation. And ever since then, God's story has been a story of redemption, of how God was trying to redeem a lost a broken world. And um, Doug Loveday likes to say that the story of Christianity is really the father wanting his children back. And so God is writing his story and he made a way for his children to come back to him and that was through Jesus on the cross. We'll be looking at that next week but this discipleship path just reminds us in one simple image what is going on and that there was separation, that there was a problem, there was a solution there was salvation on the cross, and then there is new life with Christ that follows after that. It also helps us focus on Christ and the gospel. And so the cross is at the center. Jesus is the goal, and it's a reminder to us that Christ is the center of everything. Glenn mentioned the sign out at the front road, discovering God together. In Colossians 1.15, it talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God. And so if you have an image of an invisible God, looking at that image will help you see what that invisible God is like. And so Jesus is really the central point and the discipleship path reminds us of that and helps us keep our focus there. It gives clarity for the Christian life. So often we fall into the mindset that if we're in, if we're in the club, if we've made the commitment, we said the prayer, we're good, we're done, we can sit back and rest. But the reality is, that is the starting point. Jesus said, follow me. He doesn't say, accept me and then go and do whatever you want to do. He says, follow me. And so taking that first step of obedience is the starting point in that journey. It reminds me of my objective, reminds us of our objective. I'm more and more like Christ. God wants to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. And it reminds us of our calling. It reminds me of my calling. Jesus called his disciples not just to follow him, but to help other people to find Jesus as well and to help those people follow Jesus better. So let's take a look at that first uh, point, a snapshot of the big, big picture. That was a quick introduction of the discipleship path and why it's necessary. We'll, we'll keep coming back to these points over the next three weeks. But today we're looking at the problem and the problem is separation from God. And the discipleship path really gives us a picture of that, and so I'd like to ask you, what is your worldview? What is my worldview? And I'm going to put these fashionable goggles on again, because when I put these on, life looks a little different. It actually looks like the sun is shining outside. The sun beams, I can see the orange, yellow light flooding into this building. And so when I look through these goggles, everything looks a little brighter. If I was to put on sunglasses without the sun actually shining, now everything looks a little darker and more dim. And I'm not making a statement about whether things should be bright or whether things should be dark. If I would take a magnifying glass and I would look at some words here, I would see a lot less. I'd be focusing on a lot less, but I'd see it a lot clearer. That's what a magnifying glass does. And if I took binoculars and looked into the back row, 
I would see a lot less people, but I'd see them a lot nearer. And so the point I'm trying to make is that the lens that I look through, the visual lens I look through, has an effect on how I perceive what's going on. The lens I look through tells me, shows me what I see, and the way I see the world is going to determine how I live in the world. The way I see the world is going to determine how I live in the world. So what is my worldview? What is your worldview? What lens are you looking through? Are we looking through the biblical lens? Are we seeing the redemption story that God has initiated and is writing and has us involved? Or are we looking through the lens of happiness? Are we looking through the success, the way the world defines it? Wealth, health, avoiding confrontation, maintaining freedom? What is the narrative that we see playing out in front of us as we look around? Because the way we see the world is going to affect how we live in the world. As staff, over the past few months, we've read this book, Christian Atheist by Craig Rochelle, and the subtitle here says, Believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. Christian Atheist sounds like an oxymoron. Believing in God on one hand, but living as if he doesn't exist on the other hand. And as we read this book, I have to admit, we realize that all of us at some times live a little bit like Christian atheists. We say we believe in God, we say love is so important, but the way we live actually paints a different picture. And so the way we see the world is the way we are going to live in the world. And if I'm living as if God didn't exist, maybe I'm looking through a different lens than I thought. So in this first message today, we're going to be revisiting the redemption story with a specific focus on the problem the initial problem, the separation from God. And unless we see and understand clearly, number one, that there is a problem, and number two, what that problem is, everything else is going to be out of perspective. If we don't see the problem for what it really is, everything else is going to be out of perspective. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this worldview. Today, we're looking at the problem. For some of you, this may be the first time that you hear it this way. For some of you, maybe you've heard it in the past, but it's never really registered. And then for some of us, it's going to be old news. It's going to be something that we've heard before, and it's almost like, yeah, I know that. Tell me something new. But as I was driving to church this morning, my windscreen uh, was nice and clean, and as I was driving, every now and then, it would get a little dirty and blurry, and I had to wipe the windscreen just to see that clear picture again. And so I'd like to suggest it's like that in life as well. We, we know something, we see something, we've seen something clearly in the past, but as we go through life, there's just stuff that comes at us that blurs our vision, that distracts us, and that doesn't help us see as clearly. And so this morning, we'd like to wipe that windscreen and get a clear picture what the problem is, and then over the next week, we'll look at the solution, and the following week, we'll ask, so what? What are we going to do in light of that? So Gary, why don't you come up and uh, help us understand clearly what the problem is? Well, the first problem we have is no one here knows what a windscreen is. So, <clears throat> you know, the Bible says when someone speaks in other languages, you have to interpret. So I think he's talking about the windshield. This is, this is one of those things that happens when you've got a guy here that's come from Europe. So uh, I guess that's what they call it over there. 
It's all about clarity, right? Just trying to... Education, education. All right. It's actually really fun to do this uh, with Andreas. I uh, love the staff. I uh, love working with our other pastors here. And uh, so it's fun to carry on in this message um, that Andreas has started for us. So we want to make sure that there is a clear understanding. Why are we doing this discipleship path thing? And we're focusing today on that left side and I'm hoping everyone remembers what it looks like, that left side of the discipleship path. We're thinking here of people who are spiritually lost, who have not yet come to faith in Christ. And uh, we, we want to see that. And so if you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at some verses there. But first, I just want to think of the overview. And to understand the big picture of the Bible and the big picture of world history, we actually have to go back to the beginning. So to understand why humanity finds itself separated from God, we first need to understand what God's original intention was. And so here's a very simple explanation of that. Humanity was made to flourish in the presence of God under the blessing of God. There's this uh, verse actually in Genesis chapter 1 which describes the creation account, God's creation of human beings. And it says this, that God blessed them. And I never thought a lot about that, but this is actually a key component of what it means to be human. To be human, originally in God's design, we were made in his image. We were made to live in his presence. We were made to live literally with God's life within us. We actually learn that from something that Jesus says all these years later when he comes as Savior and redeems us. And then he says this, abide, abide in me. That's such a beautiful picture. He talks about uh, the, the branch coming off of the grapevine. And, and that's the picture that God had intended in the beginning. That human beings would be like branches that, that grow from the very presence and life of God. <clears throat> so to be truly human isn't just to have physical health or to be successful or, or to have various gifts or skills. To be truly human is to be made in the image of God, to be connected to the very life of God, to live our lives under this safe and beautiful canopy of his blessing and of his ways and his word. That's the way God made us to be. I love this word flourish. It's kind of been popularized by present day preachers, but it's a beautiful word. It's, it's interesting to think about what does it mean to flourish as a human being. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I'll say to couples, your job, husband, is to do all that you can to help your wife flourish. Your job, wife, is to help your husband flourish as a human being and as a Christian. What does it mean for us to flourish? Well, if we want to understand it, we go back to the beginning and we understand it this way. Human flourishing is human life lived in connection with the life of God under the blessing of God, living out the ways of God. Well, we all know what happened, at least most of us, I'm sure, know what happened, that by the time you get to the third chapter of the Bible, we have sin. And sin is where we begin to have this separation between God and humanity. But notice what sin is. It's not just bad behavior, right? We tend to think of sin in terms of a rule list. There's certain things we can't do which is unfortunate because actually sin is, in many ways, is about the things, the good things we should do that we don't. But, but behind all of that 
is an attitude. Remember what the devil came? He came to Eve and he tempted her and tried to get her to eat this fruit that God said she shouldn't eat. And he says, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. And so what was actually happening there wasn't just about them eating a fruit. Obviously, it was wrong, it was sin, it was disobedience. But behind all of that was an attitude of rebellion. It was Adam and Eve choosing to live, what? Independently from God. They were choosing to step out from under this safe place where I'm following his ways and I'm accepting and receiving his blessings and I'm choosing to live with his life coursing through my veins. And instead I say, I don't need God. God's just, God's just holding out on me. He's trying, to, he's trying to kill my joy. He's trying to take my pleasure away. I'm actually better off to step out from underneath this canopy of God's presence. I'm better off to go and do things my way and to make my own rules and to pursue my own blessings. And that's essentially at the heart of what happens in Genesis chapter 3. So how did humanity end up separated from God? We might think, well, she ate the fruit and so God kicked them out. No, actually, before she ate the fruit, she'd already shifted, Adam and Eve shifted in their thinking from this place of, I need God. And I'm going to live dependently upon God, his presence, his blessings, his ways. And I'm going to step out from that and go my own way. That's what happened. So original sin isn't just about bad behavior. It's rebellion. It's, it's humanity choosing to live independently of God. And then what happened? The whole universe comes under a curse because its caretakers, Adam and Eve, humanity, the caretakers of the universe, made in God's image, made to care for the creation that he made, the caretaker said, we want to live independently of the creator. And what was the result of that? The result of that is the curse. If we step out from under this canopy of God's blessing, the safety of God's blessing, what do we end up with? We end up with a curse. And that's exactly what the history of our world describes. Now, some of us would say, oh, well, it's all Adam and Eve's fault. But when you understand sin in this way, a stepping out from the presence of God, away from the ways of God, away from dependence on God, you can't blame Adam and Eve. Because everybody in this room has done the same, haven't we? We have all done the same. I've even met good people who struggle to understand, well, why would I need to be saved? I'm a good, moral person. I'm kind to other people. I don't do bad things. But sometimes good people are the most independent from God because there is a spiritual pride, a sense of self-sufficiency. I don't need God. I'm doing just fine on my own. And do you see at the heart of that is this wicked rebellion against the creator who made us to flourish in his presence with his life and blessing. And we've said, don't need it, don't want it. It's not for me. Do you see the wickedness and the evil of that? That sometimes even people who are good people, we look at them, even as Christians, we look at them and say, there's a good person. But in their heart, there is a wicked rebellion that says, I don't need God and I don't want God. And all of us have made that choice. So we can sit here and think, well, you know, I, I've, uh, 
you know, I've done a lot of bad things. I've, I've robbed some banks. I've killed some people. Oh, hopefully not, but we've all done these bad things. But really at the heart of what separates us from God is our own choice to live independently of him, to sit on the throne of our lives, to pursue our own pleasures and blessings. And the whole history of our world is the outcome. What does it look like when God makes humanity in his image to be the caretakers of a perfect world that he says is good? And those caretakers say, this is all fine, but we don't want you, God. We want to go our own way. And the story of history is a story that tells us what it looks like when humanity does that. Many of our own lives bear the wreckage of that choice of living outside of God's presence, his life, his ways, and his blessings. And even the Bible, the whole history of the Bible, in fact, I mean, there's, there's stories in the Bible we shouldn't read to our kids. Violence and, and, and immorality and, and absolutely sickening things that are recorded in the Bible. Why did God put it into his word? It's so that it would be so clear to us the ugliness of human life apart from God. That's why it's in the discipleship pathway. We need to understand. And so Ephesians chapter 2 is going to help us with this. And this whole chapter is so cool because it's actually going to carry us right through our discipleship path. We're going to see the darkness of separation. And we're going to see the beauty of salvation. <clears throat> and then we're going to see the outcome of what God intends for his people who found salvation in Christ. So look at me, uh, look at, uh, don't look at me, look at your Bibles, <clears throat> look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me, and we're just going to read these first three verses, and I want you to, don't just, don't just listen to me read and think, okay, we'll get on with the sermon in a few minutes, this is the sermon. So focus on the words, think deeply about what you're hearing, and I'm actually going to read it twice. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Think of this description and all of the things that are captured right here in these three verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Six things in three verses that describe in vivid and terrible detail what it means to be separated from God. And the first one is there, right in the first verse. Dead. Dead. I sometimes wonder at the practices we have in our culture uh, in terms of death. And I didn't actually go to a funeral home until my grandfather died when I was uh, 20 years old. I'd never been in a funeral home and and it was shocking to me to realize oh so we're gonna we're gonna 
mingle with people in this room and grandpa's dead body is right there. I, I found that shocking and strange. But part of why we do that is for the reality, the closure of, of that reality that we need to understand that this person is dead. But I wonder if we've faced up to this reality that apart from Jesus and apart from salvation, that's who I am. That's what I am. I am spiritually dead. Remember, we said that true human life is life that's lived in connection to the very life of God. So this makes perfect sense that someone who's apart from God, who stepped away from God, who said, I don't need God, is actually missing the, the true lifeblood and the true life energy of what it means to be human. They don't have it. And so the Bible's description of people apart from God is dead, spiritually dead, separated from God. My grandpa's body in the funeral home, that, that was his body, I recognized him. But his soul, his spirit had become separate from the body. <clears throat> and to be spiritually dead is, yeah, we, we can have physical life, we might be in great shape, but if we don't have that true life of God within us, then spiritually dead. Secondly, we find the influence of the world. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. For thousands of years, we've lived in this world where human beings stepped away from the Creator and now we've had hundreds and probably thousands of cultures of the world that have learned to live independently of, of God. In fact, many of our cultures celebrate independence. And this is the influence that we live with. We live in this world where there's this constant pressure and influence away from God. We celebrate people who pull themselves up by their bootstraps and find success in this world and find wealth in this world and find notoriety in this world. We celebrate. That's, that's a great person. And we're inside of this influence. We're in this bubble, this echo chamber where this is all we hear and we're under the influence of this world. Isn't it amazing, by the way, when you think of these things? How does anyone get saved? Well, that's actually what this chapter is about. It's the, the wonder of what God does in saving people. People who are separated from God are dead in transgressions and sins. They're under the influence of the world. This deafening sound of the world's ways fills their ears. But then there's actually this insidious internal voice that comes from the devil. You followed the ways of this world and ruler of the kingdom of the air, speaking there of Satan or the devil, the same dark spiritual influence that was in the Garden of Eden that started this whole mess by influencing Adam and Eve away from God, away from his life, away from his blessing, convinced them to be independent. Why? Satan doesn't have a better plan. His plan is the destruction of humanity. Did you realize that? Satan's uh, desire is to destroy that which was made in the image of God. So when Satan speaks into humanity and into our lives and hearts, his desire is to ruin us. How sad it is, 
how often we hear and listen to his voice and follow his lies because his only intention, he doesn't have a better plan, a different plan to somehow make humanity flourish apart from God. He wants to destroy us. That's why scripture says he's, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus spoke of the devil as one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. How many of us can remember a time in our lives where when we look back now, we see so clearly how Satan was working in our lives to cause us to run far from God. And he sought to destroy us with the, the harmful things that we chose to do. This is what it means to be separate from God. To be separate from God means that we are under the full force of these two influences, the influence of the world and the influence of the devil. Notice verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time. We find here the reality of it, of it being a universal predicament. If you ever talk to someone and they say, well, I don't, I don't think I need a Savior, I don't think I need God, they're proving that it's a universal predicament. Every one of us afflicted with sin, having made this choice to live apart from God, and as we'll see, facing the potential of his judgment. We find the word nature here. Notice verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The Bible uses this word flesh. It just simply means flesh, flesh and bones. But it uses it in a spiritual way to describe what it means to be human apart from God. Because it's not just that we've chosen to live apart from God. We've actually genetically received a sin nature, a rebellious nature, because we've been born of sinful human parents. Sin isn't just a verb, something that we choose to do. Sin is a noun. It's something that, that, that literally becomes who and what we are. We are sinners with a sin nature, with this flesh. How many of us have wrestled with this reality, even as Christians? Scripture describes that even as believers, there's this war going on between our flesh and, and the Holy Spirit. And how there's this twistedness to us that, of course, God ultimately is going to untwist. He's going to make us whole. But even in this life, we find we battle against this nature that wants to run from God, that wants to be independent, that wants to find blessings apart from him. Because of all of these things, <clears throat> we find that we are by nature, the end of verse three, deserving of wrath. One of the most famous uh, sermons was preached uh, by a man named Jonathan Edwards around the time of uh, the great awakening in American history. And the sermon was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I don't know if this is true. I've, I've heard historically that he wasn't the most exciting preacher. And in fact, in that sermon, he just read his manuscript. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, unpacking the biblical teaching about God's wrath and judgment and hell. 
And it was something that God used to bring revival. And I wonder if we are really honest, if we're really facing this truth, the wrath of God against sinners, the just and righteous wrath of God, because we have chosen, though he made us, though he loves us, though he has a purpose for our lives, though, though, though he, he literally works in our hearts and woos us, though he sent his son to die for us, that we would continue to turn our face away like flint and have hard hearts. This is why we face the wrath of God. By the way, the wrath of God ultimately will come upon those who've chosen to live separate from God for their whole lives and they will live separate from God for all of eternity. What are the implications of these things? Do we, number one, do we understand who we were, are? I mean, we, we're going to sing Amazing Grace here at the end of the service. Uh, amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Is that just the line that we know? Have we really wrestled with the reality of how unworthy we are of God's grace. If there's anyone in here today, and I know there's many of us who are the children of God, it's not because we're clever, certainly not because we've earned it. It's not because we're better than other people, it's only because of the marvelous, incredible, unbelievable grace of God. These verses told us that apart from Christ, we're dead, we're sons of disobedience, we're children of wrath. Other scriptures have all kinds of descriptions that are just as, just as bleak, lost sheep, God's enemies, sinners cursed. Do we understand what it means to be separate from God? Do we recognize how amazing salvation really is? See that predicament, those six things we saw from Ephesians 2? If God didn't reach into that space and rescue us, we would never, we could never rescue ourselves. Finally, do we recognize the dangerous predicament that unsaved people, separate, people who are separate from God, do we recognize, and I'm sure a lot of us would say, yeah, we understand. But do we? In the ways that we seek to share our faith and let others know about Jesus, do we really believe and recognize the predicament that unsaved people are in? This is one of the reasons that we want to make use of the discipleship path. All right, I'm tagging off back to Andreas, and he will carry on. One of the problems when you try and make a joke and uh, somebody else comes up after you is that uh, they get the last word. Wikipedia says that wind shields are the North American version of wind screens, and wind screens are used in England and throughout the Commonwealth. Uh, so I'm not sure what Canada is doing about that, but today you learned wind shield and wind screen, both something used on the front of a car to protect from the wind, and they get dirty occasionally. Uh, so we talked about the blue portion of that discipleship path, and Gary mentioned we're going to be singing Amazing Grace, and we can hardly wait for next week when we're going to be talking about the solution and the salvation. But this week we need to focus and remember just this blue part. We've chosen on the image of the discipleship path to break it out into two 
stages. And those stages, that's not a hard fixed line. You could probably have five stages there. You have those who have never heard. They grew up somewhere where they've never heard. You've got those who have heard but are resistant and don't want to. You've got those who have heard but just don't care. You've got those who have heard but they, there's many different shades, but the two stages we've chosen here are those who are kind of standing like this and turned away, maybe because they don't know, maybe because they don't care, and then those who are searching because they've seen something, they've felt something, they, they're curious. And we need to recognize that despite the different outlook, they are still on the left-hand side of the cross and they're still separated from God. Act 17 talks about this, uh, where Paul is speaking to uh, the people in Athens and he saw a statue that they had dedicated to the unknown God. And they had statues to all types of gods, including one that they had maybe just as a safety net in case there was a God out there who they had missed. And so this statue was dedicated to the unknown God. And Paul says, what is unknown to you, I want to make known to you. And he talks to them about the one true God and says, he has made from one blood every nation of men, has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries so that they should seek the Lord, that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And he talks about how there is that process of, of looking and, and hoping there is someone out there grasping for it, seeking. And so as a church, looking ahead uh, in the coming weeks, just briefly, what, what does that mean? If there's people that are separated, if what Gary just told us from Ephesians 2, that there is a separation and it's truly that severe, and then I've told you already that next week we're going to be looking at salvation. There seems to be a solution to that. What should that mean for us as a church? So if we think about those separated, what is it that we want to see in their lives for them to move towards God? And one of the simple things is a gospel seen and heard. What those people need is they need to hear the good news or they need to see the good news. They need to see something of God in a world that seems to be godless. And then they need to be attracted by Christ and Christian community. And the Bible talks about how people who are very different than Jesus wanted to be with Jesus. They kept following him. They kept being attracted to him somehow. And so a question for us as the body of Christ, are we that attractive to the people that are looking? Are we really reflecting Jesus' character to those who are not interested in God yet? And those that are searching, what is it that they really need? How can we join God in calling them back? They need to understand the gospel. Just seeing or hearing it is the first step, but they really need to understand what is this about. And Gary did a great job of, of setting the stage for that. And next week, we're going to really um, explain very clearly what is the gospel, what is that solution. They need to experience Christian community and then they need to get an invitation to salvation. So often we can give a clear gospel message and then just leave it at that. People really need to understand that this is a life and death decision and it's a decision that each one needs to make individually for themselves, not something that a parent can make, not something that is made for you because of where you grew up or where you live now. And so an application for us at WBC, and this is not for us as a church institution or us as a building, but for us all of us as the church, we need to teach and celebrate the wonders of redemption. We started that today and we want to continue doing that. We need to teach and exhort the need to display and declare the gospel in our community and around the world. Display 
and declare. It's showing it with our lives, with our actions, and it's declaring it with the words that we use. Now that sounds a little bit scary. Sometimes we don't really know how to do that best, and so as a church, we need to help provide practical training for personal evangelism. How can I share my faith story in a simple way, in a convincing way? We want to continue hosting evangelistic small groups. Alpha Course and Christianity Explored is one way. Small groups meeting in homes that invite neighbors and friends is another way to do that. And that's been difficult over the past couple of years with the restrictions on gathering and meeting together, and yet we want to keep that a focus and offer people who have questions, who are seeking a way to get those questions answered and to understand more. Declaring the gospel is one thing, displaying the gospel is the other one. And so how can we as a church, as individuals, as small groups, find ways to provide practical help and care in our community and be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring healing and bring help and bring love in a very practical and tangible way to the people around us. Not just talk about it, but actually do something. As a church, we can share and celebrate stories of redemption in the lives of people, and that's why we get excited when we have baptisms, and that's why we ask everybody who gets baptized to share their story, because just baptizing is one thing, but to hear somebody declare, I was lost, I was a wretch, and now I'm saved, and this is how Jesus changed my life, that is encouraging, and that gets everyone else to be a part of that story. And then the last one, promote and support global missions. And this is not just a tag on at the end. This is just a reminder that it's not just here in our little building or our little community, but this is the story that God is writing throughout the world. And he has sent us and sent all Christians to share this message throughout the world. So how can we as a church be engaged um, here in our area, but also to the, to the ends of the earth? I mentioned earlier that the way we see the world is going to influence how we live in the world. The way we see the world is going to influence how we live in the world. So if you look through this panel, for those of you who know German, it's milk glass. I think in North America you call it frosted glass or something similar. And it's, you can see there's light there. You can see that there's, there's something bright behind it, but it's, it's very blurry. You can't really detect exactly what's going on. And there's a reason for that. That's why they use this in washrooms and in showers, because it's supposed to somewhat conceal. Um, but contrast that with a magnifying glass, a magnifying glass that is designed and manufactured to be very clear and to enhance or to emphasize a small area and to make it large in the eye of the observer. And by that design, when the light goes into the magnifying glass, it actually gets focused onto that one point it's trying to magnify to a point that you can actually start a fire with the sun shining through a magnifying glass. And so if what Gary was telling us is really true and it's really so severe and there is a problem, that separation from God, do we really see that? Is our vision clear to see that or is it somewhat blurry and we're not exactly sure what this whole thing is and, and what's going on around us and what we should be doing with our lives. I mentioned this book earlier, The Christian Atheist, Believing in God but Living as if He Doesn't Exist. And in one of the chapters close to the end, it talks about believing in God but not sharing your faith. And Craig Groeschel says, intellectually, I believe in both heaven and hell, but practically, the way I live daily doesn't always reflect the urgency of my claimed beliefs. 
If we embrace the reality that many are traveling towards an eternal hell and few are on the road to eternal life, don't you think we'd overcome some of our Christian atheism and reach out to those who are walking on the broad path? And so our challenge this morning, before we get into the next messages in the following weeks, is what is our worldview? When we're really honest, not just what we say intellectually, not just what we've said all our lives, but when we're really honest, when we look at our lives, do we really see the problem? Do we really see the separation? Do we see the death? Do we see the destruction that sin has caused? Because the way we see the world is going to affect how we live. Music team is gonna come back up. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. And as Gary mentioned already, is that just a line that we sing? Or do we truly believe it? Is that the view that we have? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Let's sing together. Please stand.